1: You will learn that name, you will remember it,
0: and now, the
1: stud
0: is here. Hey everybody, welcome in, it's David Summers hosting another studcast with the Tennessee Stud, Ron Fuller. This is the story of wrestling in America, as told by the stud, whose family started the profession over 100 years ago. Let's step back into the ring, back into time. He is the Tennessee Stud, the storyteller. Ron Fuller. Hey, Ron, what's going on?
1: Oh, Jase, man, same, same old, same old, man. Here in the Smokies, enjoying every day. Another beautiful one. Little hot, ninety-four today, I think. But uh, it's uh, still a gorgeous day out there. Uh,
0: how you doing, man? Um, I'm good. You know, it's just David Allen Coe and me trying to keep the woman in the water, and the lights, and the phone turned on. So. We're, we're gonna make it we're gonna be all right we're gonna be
1: well, oh so man yeah that's a pretty good list right there
0: it is it keeps a man busy it really yeah you would know right it really does all uh, right so maybe we ought to stick to the stud cast man yeah oh we're doing a stud cast that's right all right so but do you have rain lately what's the, what's going on oh no we get a little bit of that man uh you
1: know uh since the last one we did uh guess uh so. A little piece of a hurricane uh, that, you know, came down uh, along the Gulf Coast, came in there somewhere around Panama City, Sandblast, wherever it was down there. Yeah, it got up here. We got a little bit of a little bit of water out of that one, filled up the creeks on both sides of the place here, Um, but uh, not a flood or anything like that. So, you know, you got to have to in every life, some rain must fall every once in a while and uh, got a little bit of it last week.
0: You know, I think if I think if rain were gonna fall, I would want to be where you are. I've seen some photos, and I can't wait to see it in person because I'm gonna come and stay stay several weeks, probably. I haven't told you that. I just, damn it, I just said it. All right, because <laughs> you, look, when you uh, the, the pictures I saw looking out the back, it's like the creek almost runs under your house.
1: Yeah, it's, yeah, it's pretty, pretty place, um, beautiful place up here, man. Uh, first time ever lived in the mountains, and uh, wow. It's a great experience. No, you never see the same thing twice. You're looking at the same mountains, but yeah. they all different every time. So it's crazy, but uh, but it's pretty, pretty, and uh, you know I'm enjoying it.
0: You were gonna love me as a roommate. I'm just saying. Anyway, yep. all right. Where was I? Oh, studcast, right? All right. Listen, let me mention this because it seems like every time we talk about Southeastern Rewind on the YouTube channel, Ron. It has exploded in members overnight. So much is happening every day now. Fans around the world are dis- discovering the uniqueness of what this YouTube channel offers. Last weekend, you had back-to-back blockbuster releases. So tell us uh, tell us what's happening since the weekend and, and everything that's going on.
1: Well, you know, uh, last weekend we did have a blockbuster weekend. Uh, we released two big two big ones back to back on uh, one of those was the rewind review. And uh, this time, Les Thatcher and I, we broke down the first USA TV show on the channel. the Very first one that we've done. And it was released. Uh, this, this uh, show was released originally in March of 1988, that first USA TV show. And uh, it was the first one obviously ever produced. And we had already had thousands of views, uh, you know, for the first ever Rewind review, which was the 1978 Southeastern show. So, uh, you know, and in that one, uh, you know, we, we took a deep dive again, Les and I, and we took a real good look at that 1978 crew and all the things that were happening there. So we covered all the stories behind the scenes, the production, the technology, the wrestlers and their backgrounds, and those that were no longer with us, and, uh, and a heck of a lot more. So these Rewind reviews that we do, From each one of these TV shows, uh, they're going to quickly become and seem to be already becoming subscribers favorite shows, Hmm. you know, because they're educational and they're inspirational. I think, you know, uh, fans that really like wrestling, they get inspired just listening to what was happening back in those days and how
0: it was done. Oh, heck yeah. So tell us a little bit about that last Rewind review covering the first USA TV show on the channel. And you and Les, of course, did that.
1: Yeah. So, you know, and, and it was full, I think, of uh, hopefully interesting facts for everybody. Wrestler stories are in there. Uh, there were great matches we talked about. And we talked about a lot of behind scenes information. I think that's what today's fans are really hungry for, man. They want to know how it was all done back in the day. And, uh, you know, the next day after that came along the show number two in USA's television show number two and uh, uh, every sunday i want to remind fans at three o'clock eastern time a new usa tv show is going to drop and then a few days later we're going to do these rewind reviews less than i uh, about that same show so you see the show a couple of days later you get to hear us tell our version of the show and what was good what was bad and what was going on behind the scenes mm-hmm. you know and uh And I think that's uh, that's really important that fans get it. They don't have that opportunity to get that. You don't get that kind of coverage anywhere else on YouTube that I'm aware of.
0: Absolutely, no.
1: Especially, you know, considering the fact I produced every one of these shows 33 years ago in this show's case. (laughs) And, uh, you know, then I air them in sequence. (laughs) And then I do something that no one does. I come back and actually reviews the show's uh, Thirty-three or close to forty years ago, in the case of uh, Continental and Southeastern, mm-hmm. where I'll be talking about it almost forty years ago, uh, I'm going to review those shows right for the fans, man. So they so they get to hear the whole story, man. And uh, you know, so uh, uh, I'm real really excited about it, man. And it's and it's actually a lot of fun. It, it takes me back. I have a lot of good memories from those days too.
0: That's cool, and folks can see it because you're the originator. I mean, listen, there's a lot of stuff that you can see on YouTube, but watching it with you, the originator of these shows, as you said, the producer of all of these shows, and and really the booker on all of these shows as well, so they can see it with you and as you release it and as you tell the stories along the way. And coming in the next couple of days, the Rewind review of USA TV number two, On Sunday, August 29th, that's this coming Sunday, the third USA TV show goes up at 3 o'clock Eastern. Southeastern Rewind opens the door to all the things that made wrestling in the old school days so phenomenally successful. Fans can get, fans, they're not going to get this wrestling education anywhere else any better than they're going to get it right here on the Studcast and now on YouTube Southeastern rewind. All right, Ron, that's a lot, but man, it's so exciting to see it all happen. So where, where are we riding to today?
1: Well, I think Dave, this one today is going to rock, man. Uh, you know, we, we're going to open this uh, with today's training and in today's training, we're going to be building a steel cage to hold the havoc man that's being raised. Uh, during these steadcast times uh, back in 1977. Uh, and, uh, the, and specifically, this cage is going to be built to hold two monsters, man. The collision of them, man, that's Jola Duke and the Mongolian Stomper. So today's training uh, literally lights up the blowtorch, man, sets the stage. Uh, they're going to be welding this sucker together for <laughs> the first ever real steel cage match in the history of East Tennessee. Uh, which in, and for southeastern at this point one of the hottest territories in the world. Oh,
0: you bet, yeah.
1: Wow. So, uh, so you know, we're gonna we're gonna then we're gonna climb into that cage, man. Today in Knoxville's Chihuahua Park Amphitheater on August the twelfth, nineteen seventy-seven, we're gonna cover the first appearance of the former fabulous kangaroo Al Costello in the corner of the southeastern tag champions, Mister Knoxville, Ronnie Garvin, and Bob Wharton, Jr. They're going to be defending their belts on this one against Robert and Bob Armstrong, uh, who were the former tag team champions from Georgia. Mr. Wrestling 2 is on this show. Don DeFond Fargo (laughs) is going to make a rare appearance on this show. And uh, then we're going to talk about this whole fantastic card and the TV that promoted it. And we'll talk then about the attendance. So, you know, I announced last week that we're going to finish this this great story of my cousin Roy Lee Welch's introduction, in the southeastern, by talking about the programs and uh, and how all that worked, uh, you know. And uh, and I'm going to finish that today. I'm going to do it, but we're not going to do it in today's training. We're going to do that at the end of this show in the learning tree.
0: Okay, so that's that is coming before the show ends. So Ron, I think last week you said in this week's learning tree we were going to be talking about the man that broke the infamous sugar hold of Bob Roop and won $1,000 for it. So a change in plans maybe.
1: Well, you know, uh, you know, Dave, uh, I got I got to admit, man, you and your horse, Mr. Pickle, y'all <laughs> kind of darted from the pack now, man. You're leading the parade at this point.
0: Thank you. Thank you for you know, noticing.
1: Two of you don't miss anything anymore. Man. <laughs> so yeah, I did say that last week, but uh, I'm holding off until next week on that story about the breaking, Bob Roop's uh, sugar hold, and uh, and we'll talk a little bit about that. I, and I'm not just going to talk about that next week. Uh, I'm holding off on doing it today because next week I'm going to actually have a very rare special guest on a stud cast live. I'm going to have the guy that broke the hole, William Hardy, is going to be on with us live. And he's going to explain it to not just me and you, but to all the stud cast listeners, the whole story. And uh, basically we're going to get it as I, as I like to say, straight from the horse's mouth (laughs) next week, man. Uh, The dude that (laughs) that had it happened to him.
0: Yeah. You don't get a better source than (laughs) that. Absolutely. But are you, I mean, are you for real Ron? That's pretty cool. So we're going to actually talk to the guy that broke the sugar hold and got a got one thousand dollars for accomplishing that amazing feat.
1: We sure are, Dave. That's All right. exactly what we're going to do. And, and 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 he's actually a Studcast fan. I found that out already. So everybody out there, uh, tell your friends and your neighbors. And next week, have a listen to us because uh, I think you're going to be uh, listening to one of the maybe the wrestling classic stories, man. Uh, and it's going to be a. Uh, It's going to be told again and again by everybody that listens next week. I have a feeling once they hear this, uh, they're going to be talking about it the following week to all their friends. So, you know, let your friends and neighbors know about it before it happens and uh, let them be here to hear the story next week. Uh, I'm really looking forward to it. Dave, Uh, I think it's going to be something special.
0: Oh, no doubt. I think you're right when you said this week the Studcast is going to be rocking, and it sounds like next week's is going to be rocking as well. All right, Ron, so where do we ride to first today?
1: Well, we're going to build a steel cage, man, to hold a couple of two-legged animals instead of four-legged animals where you normally see uh, in cages. And and I'm not sure which hat we're going to be wearing today. You know, this one sure isn't a wrestler or promoter's hat. And maybe I guess we'd be donning some uh, an owner's hat because obviously the owner is going to be the one that's responsible for, for paying for this type of unique expenditure, uh, a steel cage. And uh, and I got to go back and talk about when I came to Knoxville and how all this equates to that story. I bought Knoxville from John Kazan in October 1974, and uh, he had a cage, but. When I saw it, I was like, "Oh my God!" You know, I'd seen some cages in mm-hmm. lots of territories, and and I was like, "No, John, you really don't have a cage." <laughs> I, don't, I don't think this is what I would call a it's cage. A,
0: what was it? A chain link fence? What was it? Oh,
1: oh, well, I'll kind of describe it. You know, it, <laughs> the one that I inherited when I bought the company, right. was made of wire similar to chicken wire. Uh-huh. You know, it, it wasn't a stiff wire; it was a kind of a chicken wire that went, it kind of bent outward when you ran into it or you got thrown into it. Oh. And uh and haven't been in it once. One match I had with Ron Wright in the cage, it made me real uncomfortable about the safety of that cage, mm. you know. And uh and I certainly, uh, you know, you, I didn't want anybody else uh, to climb into it, you know, and if you climbed up on it, it, it was likely to collapse, you know. that wasn't going <laughs> to It it was, uh, it was not what I considered to be a steel cage and it was only about 10 feet tall and it had boards connecting it at the top to hold it together uh, rather than uh, anything metal
0: Uh that
1: would really be substantial and carry some weight. And it it was only large enough to go around a 16 foot ring, which is about the, basically the size of a studio wrestling Uh ring. You know, uh, I had 20 foot rings, you know, right. I mean, uh, especially in big arenas like the Coliseum, the amphitheater. So, uh, you know, that wasn't going to work. So and, and besides that, it just looked horrible and unprofessional. I was ashamed of it, to be honest with you. And I didn't feel good about putting guys into that type <laughs> of a cage, you know. So therefore, Southeastern. Uh, That's why I hadn't had many cage matches since I bought the company in 1974 up Mm -hmm. to 1977 is because I didn't want to put guys in it. I didn't want to take a chance that somebody was going to get hurt. But since 1974, when I started, everything had changed dramatically uh, in Knoxville in that three years from 74 to 77. The old warp your head off hole was gone. You know, the quality of the TV was much improved. And it was on a new and very powerful television station now. The respect for the sport had changed dramatically. People looked at wrestling differently, man, in that three-year period of time. The size of the size of the crowds had exploded. Now, I guess that's the word for it. Mm-hmm. I mean, it just was nothing compared to what was there in 1974. Now you're in the Coliseum. Now you're selling out the Coliseum. You're selling out the, the amphitheater. It's a it's really been a big change. And maybe most of all, there was no comparison in the quality of the wrestlers from 1974 to what they were in 1977. So, the main event from the last studcast with Joe LeDuc versus Mongolian Stomper is a perfect example of what I'm talking about in the change of wrestlers. Uh, I couldn't imagine those two massive guys getting in that cage that uh, John Kazana was using. <laughs> 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 they would have destroyed it. <laughs>
0: yeah, no doubt.
1: They would have just totally destroyed it. Wow. So, you know, now I got two massive men, man, that are in the match from last studcast that we talked about. They're fighting all over the amphitheater. They got six or eight other guys fighting uh, in the ring, some of them outside on the concrete, some of them inside the ring. At one point in the match last week, the Duke and Stompers got each other by the throat, and they fall off that eight-foot drop from Ooh. the ringside area uh, down onto the concrete in front of the giant grandstand, man. They, they're they just they're just fighting all over the park. And, uh, you know, I knew right then. I was standing watching it. Uh, I knew two things right then. One of them was that we had to have a cage match to keep these guys inside the ring, hmm. or, you know, we're never going to have a finish to it if we don't. Mm-hmm. And the second thing I, I knew we had to have, we were going to need a real cage for these big boys. <laughs> we, we couldn't do a chicken wire deal. Chicken wire deal is not going to hold these guys. So uh, so the Monday morning after this Friday night matches, I, was, I went to a recommended welding shop, ask around and somebody gave me the name of one that I thought might work for me. And, uh, I knew a little about welding. My dad in fact was a welder before he ever started wrestling, uh, living up in uh, near Chicago and, and a welder. And I helped him build some rings, some wrestling rings and some bleachers when I was a kid growing up on the farm in Loxley, Alabama. So, uh, I knew a little bit about welding.
0: Hmm. All right. So I kind of see what's coming here, but I got to ask, what kind of look did you get when you go in and you told the welding shop folks what you wanted to build and what it was for? First of all, <laughs> did they recognize you? Were they wrestling fans? I'm full of questions here.
1: <laughs> well, that's a good point, you know, and uh, and and I did, uh, you know. The first person I talked to, Dave, was actually a woman, man, and and I, and I guess, uh, you know. Pretty much everybody out there listening today can kind of picture what her face looked like when I told her what it was for. Right. You know. So luckily, she kind of turned me over to the guy that was head of the welder part of it, and uh, and he recognized me, and uh, you know, and he'd actually been to the matches on the Friday before. Oh, cool. So, so he witnessed all the chaos, man, that went on there in that uh, <laughs> Stomper and Laduke
0: match. You so know? he knew directly. Why you needed a he new cage, yeah. You yeah. know, and, yeah. and I
1: think he'd probably been a fan way back into the Kazana days, and he'd probably seen a few matches in their cage
0: chicken wire,
1: <laughs> yeah. And he and he says, Oh, geez, I see, Ron. Why you, you definitely don't need something more than what you got,
0: yeah, right? yeah.
1: So, so we spent about an hour, me and him, talking about the specs for this unique cage, man. I wanted it to be something spectacular. You know, and I told him uh, specs were I, I wanted it to be 22, twenty-two feet square, big enough that it would fit around a twenty-foot ring. Hmm. It, it I wanted it to be fifteen feet high, which is just about as high as you see a regular cage, especially back in the seventies. Probably, yeah. You know, and yeah. I wanted it to to fit perfectly around my largest rings, which were twenty-footers. Had them in the Coliseum and uh, one of them in the amphitheater. And uh, I wanted to be made, obviously, a strong metal material, uh, which would be needed for its structure. And I wanted the strength necessary to contain and survive the climbing on it, the crashing into it, uh, that nothing is going to hurt it, that it's going to last for a few years. Okay. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I knew that was definitely going to happen. I knew these boys, once they got in that cage, first thing's going to happen is a is one of them's going to get run across the ring and head first into that cage at 300 pounds? Uh, I wanted to make sure the cage was going to send them flying rather than them send the cage flying.
0: When were you asking for it to be delivered?
1: So four days later, we are you talked ki- about it? Are you kidding? We talked About it, and and the guy was really into wrestling. Mm-hmm. So you know, I said, I got, I, I want to book a cage match. I've got to have it made in four days. And so he said, uh, he said, Ron, we'll do it. You know, so they delivered me four days later, man, at Joe Halley Park at the amphitheater. They brought this cage, man, and they assembled it around the 20 foot wrestling ring. It was sitting on the big, huge concrete, concrete podium area where all the ringsiders Mm sit. And, uh, you know, wow. It was something, man. It was really something.
0: How much, what does it cost? To have some, I mean, obviously this is a special uh, building that they're going to do for you. What does something like that cost?
1: Well, it, it was more than a thousand bucks, you know, uh, but but it was worth every penny of it, Dave. You know, uh, gosh, uh, especially when I saw it, it was absolutely beautiful. I mean, like I was like, wow, I'd never seen a cage built like that. And uh, you could tell that it was going to be able to handle whatever happened, man. It wasn't going to bother anybody. Uh, and they weren't going to break the break it anywhere. Wow. That it was going to break men instead of men breaking it. And, and the everyone, everyone wrestler that ever worked in it after that always told me after the cage matches that it was the best cage they'd ever been in.
0: Holy cow. And obviously you wanted this thing to last for years and years down the line when you make that kind of investment. All right, I just ran this through uh, my special system here. Okay, it's called Google. Uh, in today's money, about about forty five hundred dollars. Yeah. Wow! <laughs> well, I'm not wow! Surprised. Yeah. I
1: didn't Google it, man, but uh, that doesn't surprise me. You know, uh, God, but I I don't I don't care. I didn't care then. I don't care now. You know, it proved to be almost indestructible. So much so that when I sold Southeastern two years later in the mm-hmm. fall of 1979, I had that cage hauled 500 miles south of the Gulf of Mexico in Pensacola, Florida. Hmm. And I used it there for eight more years. And by the time I left wrestling in 1988, Dave, it had survived almost 100 cage matches in five different states.
0: Holy cow. And you couldn't
1: tell it had been used.
0: Wow. That is incredible.
1: Just as. <laughs> It was just as solid and just as good as the day that it got set on that first platform uh, to be used on August the twelfth, nineteen seventy-seven. Okay, Pretty obviously, amazing.
0: obviously, it had some steel involved. Was did you have chain link in between the steel? Anything?
1: Oh yeah, I mean you know you had, you had the uh, the triangular shaped steel, the heavy duty steel link. Uh, yeah, you know uh, the big the big pipes at the top, the pipes yeah. connected it was the the door was it was a fantastic setup mm. and you know uh, you it was just really a phenomenal cage
0: and when, once it was time for the match i got to ask do they did they come out then and set the 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 cage up how did that work when you were setting it up
1: well, I'm going to get to that later in this show. Man. Yes, thank I'm, you, I'm, Stud. I'm, there you go. You're way ahead of me again. You got to hold that boy.
0: You got to hold that, Mister Pickles, back oh, a dude. little bit, man. You got to you know? know. You got to know. I love these today's training segments, uh, Stud. That's awesome. So y- you're you're such a great storyteller. That's what makes it so much fun. You even make a great story out of a, a cage. We're talking about that's <laughs> all right. So where do we where do we ride to now, Stud?
1: Man, we're going to ride into that amphitheater, man, in Chihai Park on Friday night, August 12th, uh, you know, 1977, man. Uh, We got a six-match card. Uh, We got stars all over the world on this card, man, literally. Uh, uh, The the first match. Let's just talk about, man, uh, you know, the first match on this card. It's going to be my cousin, Roy Lee Welch, that we just introduced on the last studcast. He's only in his second week in Southeastern. He's wrestling against a guy named Buddy Diamond. Pretty good wrestler. Second match was a world class match, man. And I mean, literally, world class match. It's Tony Charles from the United Kingdom against Al Costello, the former fabulous kangaroo from Australia. Cut uh, you. Well, I when i booked this match i was like i can't wait to see this son of a gun Uh, the third match was another great one on this card the living legend from georgia mr wrestling number two Hmm. was making a rare appearance against a heel that was really hot in the territory man doug gilbert the pro fourth match was me returning from a concussion that I got two weeks earlier in a match with the stomper and uh Gorgeous George Jr. 14 stitches in my head, and uh, and I had to sit out for two weeks. You know, the doctors and anyway recommended they recommended a month. I cut that in half, and uh, I felt like I was okay. And uh, and uh, I was in the, on this card against one of the great stars in the sport, man. And he's got a new gimmick uh, when he comes this time, and it's built around a very popular character. It was on a popular TV show back in those days called The Happy Days.
0: <laughs> okay. You uh, so now
1: all of a sudden Don Fargo has become Don the Fonz Fargo. Man. Right. <laughs> uh, it's a far-out gimmick, man, but but he's still an outstanding wrestler, man. I mean, it didn't make any difference what he called himself. He had the skills. In the fifth match was a turn match for the Southeastern Tag Championship. This time it's a no DQ stipulation, and the challengers again, are Bob Armstrong and my brother Robert versus Mr. Knoxville, Ronnie Garvin, and Bob Wharton Jr. And this time that team is managed by Al Costello. So uh, the main event was in this brand new, I'm going to call it Super Cage, man. It was a very rare event by this time in this cage, you know, but but this time, in this cage, man, this is going to be a very special thing, man. I just, I knew that the Duke and the Stomper uh, are going to be added again. They're going to be managed, obviously, the Stomper by Gorgeous George Jr. There's no title at stake on this one. Uh, there's no no other things, uh, no special rules. The only thing at stake here is who is the better man.
0: Hmm. All right, so to me, I think it's one of the best cards of the entire summer. And summer ain't over yet, but I still think it could be. So I guess... We're ready to take a look at the TV show for August 6, 1977. So how does this one open up, Stud?
1: Okay, that TV show, uh, you know, obviously, Rh- Less runs down the TV cart. That's the normal opening. And when the camera's back away from this close-up, they, uh, they're behind them on the big set. Uh, he's joined by my brother, Rob, and by Bob Armstrong. Behind them on the set is this this uh, still shot of Al Costello dropping his knee in my brother's face when my brother has Mr. Knoxville in the fuller leg lock, you know? Uh, And then when they back away to where you can see Robert and Armstrong, uh, this is the night after this match took place. Uh, Rob's got a big old bruised eye, Mm. (laughs) about Mm -hmm. a half of a black eye, you would call it. And Bob Armstrong's got a tape forehead because he, and Bob Wharton Jr. were both bleeding in this match
0: huh. Yeah,
1: yeah. So, so let's ask them, you know, what they were looking at on the screen behind them. And Rob starts off, obviously, it's him that's in that picture. And he started off by saying something, you know, like the referee was down over there, you know. And he, he pointed, you know, uh, to the far side of the picture, the still shot. And you could see the referee down. And he says, and there's a crazy over-the-hill Australian with no reason to be where he is. He's in the ring, and he's dropping, obviously, a knee in my face, (laughs) Les. Ow. Yeah, so, you know, so Les asked Rob, uh, why does he think Costello is even there? So Rob says, you know, well, Les, I watched the TV last week, like other people did. He said, I heard that Costello basically come out here and run in his mouth about how he wanted to take over Orton and Mr. Knoxville, and he wanted to lead them to the World Tag Championships, you know. And he said, other than that, you know, there wasn't any reason for that old fart to be in the ring, <laughs> and you know, they think he threw the word <laughs> "fart" in there, which, which yeah. uh, you know, that's that's on the cusp of being uh, uh and having to be uh,
0: right.
1: knocked out. But you uh, couldn't uh, say anyway. That. <laughs> it, it, it's the way he felt about Costello. Yeah. I, don't yeah. I don't mind. I don't mind. I don't blame him either. You know, if he dropped his knee in my face when you're in the full leg lock, you're pretty helpless, man. So, you know, he says, uh, you know, uh, basically that, that old fart uh, didn't have any reason to be in the ring. And then he ends up, you know, and what happened is he ended up uh, costing him the match. Rob had the match won. Bob had Orton over in the far corner beating the heck out of him. And, uh, and here comes uh, Al Costello. And the referee obviously doesn't see it. So, so then, uh, and it, then it becomes a, a loss. You know they, they had a sure win going. Rob basically saying we had a sure win going here, man. I got him in the toehold. Uh, Bob's beating the heck out of the other guy, and uh, you know all I need is the referee there to say to hear him say he gives up and we're champions. But he says because of this crazy Australian, oh we 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 turned a victory into defeat. He handles it for him. So, and the vic- you know video shows Mr. Knoxville cover our, cover Rob and it shows Costello sneaking out of the ring unseen by the referee and Rob getting counted out. Well, the video continued, and Rob got thrown over the top rope, and Mr. Knoxville and Orton, they began to double-team Bob, who was already bleeding, and they were doing it because he's scheduled in the next match to come and manage Joe LaDuke in the very next match. So Bob described what it was like, man, to watch this video when Rob and him had the belts won. And instead, he and Rob ended up, look at us. I think said something about, look at us. <laughs> I'm, I'm, all, I'm all bandaged up, and Rob's got a bruised face. You know, he says, we we, we we had the belts, and now look at us. We're just all bruised and beat up. <laughs> so <laughs> so he says, you know, that next Friday was their last chance. He felt like it might be their last chance to win those belts. And it was an ODQ match. And this time, they're going to know where that ugly old Al Costello is going to be because he's managing that team, and he's going to be at ringside. They'll be able to see him, man. They'll be able to know where he's at. Mm. And he said Rob Hill was definitely going to win the Southeastern Tag Championship next Friday because it was was what the fans deserved. They deserved a lot better than Mr. Knoxville and Bob Orton Jr. to be their champions, and especially now since they had this crazy old Aussie as a manager. So Mm -hmm. they left the set, obviously, with a pretty big roar of approval. So uh, and right after that uh they barely cleared the studio mr knoxville bob orton jr and their new manager al costello go to the ring for the first match in the show and wow did they get some booze uh, <laughs> and they did their normal routine mr knoxville jumped off the top rope and one of them's throat orton put the other one in the backbreaker. and uh instead of them covering them this time though uh, costello made them both give him give the guys a pile driver each and they were hurt so bad that they could hardly get them up to give them a pile driver so wow. they anyway they gave them a pile driver and then uh they covered the guys and uh costello jumped in there he wanted to get to them before their hands were raised but he didn't make it and then he grabbed uh, both of them's hands raised their hands again You know, he looked like a proud father with a couple of babies, man. (laughs) You know, just he—he was enjoying himself. So, so they took it over to the set, their little show for the first interview, and uh, and Al Costello did their talking, and the champion stood behind him. They had their belts across their shoulders, and uh, he made it emphatically clear that this was going to be the very last time Armstrong and Robert Fuller ever got a title shot. They don't win them next Friday. They're never getting another title shot. So uh, Bob and Rob, they were in studio B and uh, everyone knew by this point, as soon as you said that it was their last chance. And, uh, you know, that was what the sport was all about back in those days, though, Dave, you know, it was always down to the last bell. Mm-hmm. My gosh, this was their last shot, their yeah. last chance. And, yeah. uh, everything's on the line.
0: Yeah. Wow. <laughs> no doubt. So,
1: so second match, man. I'm going to just roll through the TV because, uh, you know, I think this is a really good show. It's got a, some great stuff in it. Uh, so my cousin, Roy Lee Welch, uh, he was a second-generation wrestler in the Welch family. And uh, I want to start this off. And I've never done this, I don't believe. I want to give fans a, a little bit of history about my family here real quickly so they can kind of understand about Roy Lee and who he is and then what his situation here as a young guy is. And my grandfather, Roy Welch, he paved the way, man. He started building the Welch name in Knoxville and in that East Tennessee area way back in the late 1930s and into the 40s. Uh, and he built it with his great wrestling ability. And he also built it uh, kind of, uh, I guess, riding right the back, I'd call it, of his wrestling bear, who was named Ginger. I mean, he would mm-hmm. come over and wrestle by himself and then – fairly regularly, he would bring his bear across the state, and Ginger would do the wrestling for him. So uh, Jack Welch, the second wrestling brother uh, of Roy's, uh, just a little younger than Roy, uh, he had a relatively short career, but he did wrestle some, but he was not real good at it like the others, and he didn't stay at it long. Herb Welch was the third of the four four original brothers, and uh, he continued, man, that uh, Welch reputation in Knoxville really continued it. He may be even built on it. He was the world junior heavyweight champion for quite a few years in the 1950s. Spent a lot of times, a lot of matches in Knoxville. Then the youngest brother, Lester, continued that legacy in the East Tennessee rings during the 1960s. He was one of the biggest stars in Knoxville's history. So these the Welch boys had been through there, and now it's Roy Lee's turn. And you know, and it's, it's his time to see if he can make a name for the family in the 1970s. It, this is, like I said, his first Southeastern TV match. Mm-hmm. And again, It's against a much larger opponent, Don Lambert, who was over 300 pounds. Wow. Roy was lucky to be just over 200. Hmm. He probably had a 100-pound at least a disadvantage in weight. So, um, you know, Les Les did his normal great job. He made sure during the course of this match that he explained to the audience Roy Lee's background and the history of the Welch family in Knoxville wrestling. And a very odd fact here, man, that no one knew uh, while all this is going on that there were three more Welch's wrestling in (laughs) Southeastern. There was myself, Robert, and Jimmy. And no one knew we were related Uh, to the welches at all Mm -hmm. rob and i were fullers jimmy golden was jimmy was a golden and uh and roy lee was the only one that anybody knew was even a welch (laughs) uh, odd but that's the way kayfabe days were yeah you know i mean uh we we wanted to use different names and uh, we kept it that way so roy lee's in the second match and roy was a really good worker he had a He had a great feel for how to get himself over, in spite of the fact he was a smaller guy, you know. Uh, He was a great seller, man, which meant that he knew how to get the sympathy of the crowd, especially when he's getting punished by some big old guy. And then he also knew how to earn that pop when he's going to win unexpectedly, man, at the last minute. So he used his wrestling skills early in this particular TV match. He proved how he could wrestle that he knew how to wrestle. And uh, finally, the big man, Lambert, stopped him with a punch, started pounding him, and then started working on his back. He slammed him, and he slammed him, and he slammed him three or four times. He covered him every time, and Roy Lee kicked out. Then he suplexed him and covered him. Roy Lee kicked out, but not as fast. And then he shot him in and clotheslined him. And, uh, you know, uh, this time when he covered him, I thought, man, this would be it. But, uh... Royley got his shoulder off, one shoulder off the match, just to keep the match alive. And about that point, the studio crowd, and this is very unusual. It's his first TV match. They don't know much about him. Only his second week there, the TV crowd started to chant, Go, Roy, go, one of those days. Wow, man. okay. Yeah. And the big man, man, the big man got excited, and he grabbed him up, and he turnbuckled him, man, shot him into the turnbuckle, and then he ran across the ring and hit him with a boot right in the face. Wow, and Roy Lee just hung in the corner, man. He, you look like this is over. It's done. So uh, Lambert got the feeling really like a big dude, man. Like it, the victory's here, and he turned his back on Roy and he yells at the crowd to shut up, right? Because now they're really <laughs> oh Roy, Ro- they're they're really pushing for Roy. So then he turned to Roy, and Roy's still hanging in the corner. And he rears back and throws a big punch, and Roy ducks it, and he, boy, so smoothly slides around uh, the big man's back, and he slips into his father's, Lester Welch's famous finish hole for years there in Knoxville, the abdominal stretch.
0: Wow, okay,
1: wow. And the crowd pop, man. They recognized the hole. They knew the kid is Lester's son, and the big man Roy cranked it on him, and the big man, you could hear him screaming, I give up downtown Knoxville. (laughs) And you could also hear that TV crowd screaming downtown Knoxville. Wow, They were really loving it. So, you know, suddenly sure defeat, man, for Roy turned into victory with the use of a beautiful wrestling hold. Wow, that was what was so good about it. So Roy's still selling, man, Then he's holding his back, and, and he's in some pain. <laughs> you know, you don't do all that to have somebody do all that to you and not have some pain. <laughs> and he rolled out of the ring, and he nearly fell on his face, and two fans in the front row had to grab him. He was going down on the concrete face wow. first, and they grabbed him, and they kind of set him in their lap, and everybody within reach was patting him on the back.
0: Oh, man.
1: It was like it was like beautiful wrestling in it, in all its simplicity, man. He had gotten over big time in his very first TV match, man, and uh, and I watched that from the control room, and I could I could see huge things were ahead for him, man. And uh, those fans fell in love with Roy Lee.
0: That is so cool, and what a beautiful story, Ryan. That is awesome. I could almost see it as you described it. I can't wait to hear how he does as he moves up the card, because I know that's going to happen, with his wrestling program sales and everything happening with all – and those sales are going through all the southeastern buildings, I assume. So that's that's cool. All right, so what's going on next?
1: Well, next is uh, Tony Charles, man. And, uh, wow, Tony got his normal rousing applause, man, as he came to the set for the second interview. You know, he wasn't wrestling, but he's doing this second interview. So fans truly love Tony Charles. Wow, they really, really liked him. And his opponent for the next Friday night happened to be Al Costello from Australia, who's managing now uh, Orton and uh, Garvin. And uh, Al Costello uh, was in uh, Studio B. Uh, And the fans were just beginning to hate old Al, you know. And uh, what a great interview that followed, man, uh, these two guys. The, you know, I sat there in the control room and, and and listened to those wonderful accents, man, from two fantastic wrestlers from two different countries, half a world apart, man. You know, United Kingdom and Australia, you can't get much further on the globe apart than that. Yeah. And uh, those accents and the fact of where they live – It brought goosebumps to my arms, man. I felt a lot of pride, even in what was happening in my territory. I mean, I had these two great guys, a couple of the best wrestlers on earth. I had them wrestling for Southeastern fans in Knoxville, Tennessee. It was like, wow, man, this is cool. And and it really didn't make any difference what they said, because what they were going to do in the ring the following Friday night, it was worth far more than any words they were ever going to say.
0: Oh no doubt they, if
1: and it, they were going to, they were going to tear that house down I knew it.
0: Yeah, and if it's entertaining to the fans it doesn't matter where they they come from. That is so awesome. I wish I could have seen that match. Uh, that's really cool. All right, I think it's time for let's take a quick break. Let's do that. We'll be coming back with the personality profile. That will continue right after this when we come back on this Studcast. Ron spent two years in the basement of his home, writing a story about a dream he had in 1998. It involved a lion named Brutus and the Great Smoky Mountains National Park within a few miles of where he lived. It was unpublished and forgotten about for almost 20 years. He found it again in 2018 and completed it in 2019. It has become an extremely popular novel, favorably compared by many to Jaws. Some reviews say it's better than Jaws. Read what others think about it on Amazon.com Brutus Novel. And you can purchase it there if you wish. And you can get an autograph copy with a nice personal note from the stud by ordering it on his website at TNStud.com. Click Stud Store and look for Brutus. It may become a movie, so get it before and own a piece of literary history before it becomes real history. Open 24-7, 365, TNStud.com. Hey, everybody. Welcome back in. David Summers with the Tennessee Stud, Ron Fuller. And don't forget, Southeastern Rewind on YouTube. Subscribe. Click the like button. Ring the bell. Do all that so you never miss anything on Southeastern Rewind. It's where stud fans are going to hang out and spend a lot of time. All right, Ron. So I think we're ready for the personality profile as we were talking about before. So let's get the big buildup going. Tell us what was on the profile.
1: A, a cage, Dave.
0: Yeah. Just a cage, Ron? <laughs> yeah, just a cage, Dave. <laughs> 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 yes.
1: so, you know, uh, you should know me better than that, Dave. You know, yeah,
0: yeah. Uh, yeah, I uh, sure. remember earlier
1: in the show, you know, when I said that they delivered that cage at Chill High Park on a Friday and that was the day before this TV uh, and they assembled that beautiful cage when they when they brought it there that day. I was there when they delivered it uh, around the ring, and so uh, I said, "Man, this is something special. We got to do the profile on tomorrow's show on this cage." So I sent Les and a TV crew from the station on that same day. After I after I uh, uh, realized how how good this thing looked, mm-hmm. I called Les. I got him all the uh, to get the crew set up and to bring them down there and made a couple of calls to a couple of individuals that I wanted to have on it. And, uh, all of a sudden I'm putting together the personality profile on the Saturday afternoon, the day before the TV. Hmm. So less than the TV crew, they show up from the station and when they get there, uh, so is the Mongolian Stomper and gorgeous George Jr. There. Oh, okay. And, uh, what we do is less shows the cage by itself. And then he introduces them. He opens the door and he invites them inside. And, uh, you know, and when they go in to, to take a look, uh, you know, up close and personal at this steel confinement that's basically built to hold them, mm-hmm. <laughs> especially one of them anyway. Mm-hmm. So, you know, so less gets them up there. It's a sunny afternoon, uh, later in the day. And, uh, even his words, man, couldn't couldn't describe how impressed they were with this new cage. Wow! Uh, and Stomper, he, he couldn't take it. He couldn't take it. He got in the ring, and uh, Junior's uh, Gigi's talking the list, And Stomper uh, went crazy. He started shaking the steel wire sides. Uh, he he ran full steam into him, man. He climbed I, up in the corner God, and he yeah. shook him as hard as he could, man, to see if there was any give in the cage. And there wasn't nothing, no give whatsoever. He couldn't do anything to budget.
0: Oh, right? my God. And, I can see him doing that. I can just see him doing that. That's awesome. Yeah, you know, and I mean,
1: Gigi didn't tell him to. He just, he just said, right. "Hey, I can't <laughs> yeah. take this. I'm gonna find out what this thing's all about." Right? Yeah, and that's, that's cool. So, and people are watching, and Gigi's talking to less and uh, you know, and the Stomper's going crazy in the cage by himself. Mm-hmm. And yeah. uh, but you could kind of see when he walked back right before they closed. You could kind of see the pride in Stomper's face, man, because he knew he was going to be the first to test this sucker, man. Next Friday night, he's in this cage, wow. right?
0: Yeah, he, yeah.
1: You could see it. He really, really loved it, right? And so in an hour after that, Joe Duke showed up there, man. And, uh, and uh, you know, he was there to, to have the same, to take a look himself, right? And uh, his reaction was absolutely priceless, man. Uh, the camera captured it, man, uh, as only cameras could, man. And Joe felt, you could tell Joe felt like this was a precious moment. Southeastern history, he 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 was blown away by the cage and what it looked like and you know and he 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 told Les he says I think this is the greatest cage that's ever been built for
0: wrestling <laughs> you know
1: and he he says he said you know he said I'm I'm totally honored Les to be in it. I'm gonna be wrestling in it the very first time anybody goes in and they lock the doors, <laughs> you know. And he kind of teared up in the interview, man. Oh my he, God! And he did that, you know. <laughs> Joe would do that because he was often touched by special things, special circumstances. This was getting to him. You could tell, man. Mm-hmm. He's like, God, Les, this is this is unbelievable. So he and Les stood in the middle of that ring, man, surrounded by that steel, man, six feet taller than the top rope. Mm. Cage win,
0: mm.
1: and and he started crying. He started literally; the tears were running down his face. Oh my At God. the end of the interview, wow. You know, and so so I guess Dave, you really had to be a wrestler to think in terms of something as cruel as a steel cage having a special meaning to a guy. But to guys that fought, you in know, inside those steel cages, they did have a special meaning for you. I understood Joe getting so emotional about this cage.
0: Uh, and listen, I wonder too if it was because—I I mean, did you help him become a main eventer? Was he already a main eventer? Was he was he that emotional about being in the main event with this incredible cage? I mean, he was he, Joe Leduc was
1: a, a star. He had been a star for quite a few years. And he had been to Florida. He had been to uh, Memphis Territory. He had been all around the country and probably all around the world. Mm -hmm. You know, he had been in these big matches before. But, you know, it was just a moment. He got caught in the moment of the Mm -hmm. brand-new cage and what it looked like and uh, and realizing that he's going to be the first guy in it. Uh, It just – and Joe was like that. Joe would cry sometimes on trips. He'd see something that would emotionally affect him, and hmm. he might have been a big old huge guy, but, boy, he was soft, man, when it came to a lot of things.
0: Uh, I mean, he does sound like a teddy bear. And, listen, that's an before we got into that part, it does sound like an unusual thought because, I mean, like it's like giving a soldier a new weapon, and when you first put it in his hands, he might get the same reaction as Joe Leduc got standing in that cage. So, uh, but that's, that's cool. And it does, it does seem like Joe Leduc's personality was just one of a, a, a real teddy bear. That's, that's cool. All right. So what happens next stud?
1: Well, yeah, that's a good analogy actually, man, you know, I mean, uh, and I can see that for the soldier soldier and he gets a new gun and, you know, uh, it is part of his business, man, that it's important to him.
0: Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. Uh,
1: Joe, I think took this cage, uh, really seriously. Wow. So, uh, so they brought back the video obviously they edited it to perfection man they captured all the moments that would have all been lost had we not introduced the cage in that way you know uh, and I know by the reaction of the studio fans as they watched it the next afternoon it it blew everybody in that studio away that <laughs> cage was really something and you know and I'm pretty sure it did the same thing to those people at home <coughs> So six days after this show, man, fans were going to come by the thousands to see much more than just the match between between two rivals. They were going to come to see this huge silver medal marvel made specifically for mayhem, man. You know, and I knew when I saw it that it was going to inspire the Stomper, and it was going to inspire Joe do. <laughs> and they were going to have one of the most memorable matches in the history of the sport in that. Brand new cage the following Friday night.
0: Wow, that's an amazing personality profile about an inanimate object, Ron. That's pretty cool. To me, it's kind of like the recent Yankees-White Sox game in the Field of Dreams in Iowa. The cage itself reminds you of the voice in the cornfield in the movie. If you build it, they will come. (laughs) (laughs) So,
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah
1: <laughs> well that's a good analogy too dave
0: thank you thank you, you know, very much I man.
1: Uh, you know, i built it man and by golly they are going to come
0: man and they would that. yeah according to you they would come for many years after that because that that cage became famous all right so what is next in this great stud cast
1: well, maybe the most famous wrestler ever in the Georgia Territory, Mr. Wrestling too, man, and he is in the third match. And when he goes to the ring, he gets a great ovation. I never realized how popular he was in Tennessee, you know, and, uh, and he obviously showed his wrestling skills, of which he had many. And he ended a pretty short match with that famous bionic knee lift, man, that he used to hit people with. Uh, he hit me with it, in fact, uh, in 1973, uh, won the Georgia championship for me in 73. So, uh, you know, uh, he, so he went to the set uh, with Les and he, and he made a tremendous interview uh, with a former about his guy. Yeah, he's wrestling yeah, the following Friday night, a former enemy of his in Georgia uh, and another guy that wears a white mask like wrestling too. both of those guys, the pro. The wrestling pro had had a two-year long-running feud in Georgia with Mr. Wrestling, too, hmm. uh, before he ever came to Southeastern. So, so I booked this match because of the history between these two guys. Uh, the fans watching, even though most of them knew little or nothing about what had happened between these two guys in Georgia, they couldn't possibly miss the animosity that took place in that short two-minute interview between the two of them, two sitting at the set and the pro in Studio B. And after it was over, I knew this match the following Friday was going to add fans from the south, man, from Georgia, man, that were going to drive to Knoxville, man, to watch this. And it was also going to significantly add to what might be a historical night, man, that Friday night. So Joe Duke, he kind of put the exclamation, exclamation, point on the show in the last match. Uh, The studio erupted when he entered, man, and they never sat down until he he bear-hugged both his two opponents, and they had both given up. (laughs) And the emotion from the profile and the rivalry between Stomper, Gorgeous George, and Joel Duke was so thick in the interview that followed that match that you could cut it with a knife, man. I mean, the stage was set. The cage was built. They were going to come, man. As you mentioned back there, mm-hmm. they—I had built it—and they were going to come. The next Friday night was going to be something very special.
0: Man, I know you could feel it because you—and I, I know you—you you can kind of detect. Oh, this—this this is really working as as a booker. So, Ryan, this has been some ride so far today. I can't wait to hear what happened on Friday, August twelfth, nineteen seventy-seven. Here it comes. Yeah, well, here it does, man. Let's break (laughs) down that evening, man.
1: You know, and I've been wanting to talk about this because it it, it is something special, you know. So I watched all the matches that night. And another great thing that told me that that the territory is in great shape and that this is a tremendous card is so many other wrestlers stood along that wall, that dressing room wall, and watched those matches with me. Uh, you know, everybody was into it. Everybody knew this is going to build our business. This night is going to be remarkable. Mm. So, you know, uh, so I, I watched all the matches. Of Roy Lee Welch got it off in the first match to a great start. He, he stood him up. When he hooked his dad's abdominal stretch, that part stood up. It was like the beginning of a love affair between <laughs> him and the Southeastern fans, you know. This kid's going somewhere, you know. I, I was like, "Gosh, man!" And, it, and he's a family member. It was it was wonderful for me. It felt good to be able to to do something for him to to see what he what's happening in his life. Uh, Tony Charles and Al Costello in the next match gave fans a match that no one nowhere in America did anybody else see a match like that, you know, including me. I'd never seen a match like that myself. They did tosses and giant bumps of all kinds. They threw forearms that were echoing off those grandstands. It was like pow, pow. They would hit them once and then the echo off the crowd <laughs> back into where we were standing. It was like, son of a gun. This is amazing. And, then you know, another yet unseen by throw by Tony Charles at the end of it, man, brought everybody on their feet, man. Uh, fans had seen something unique. To America, you know, unique to unique to American wrestling mm. and their appreciation for it. in those grandstands could not be denied, man. That when it was over, even though Al Costello was a heel, mm. they got a standing ovation.
0: Man, I, and listen, I got to stop you right there, because this is just the first two matches of the night. And you yeah. got that. You got the crowd on their feet. After the first two matches, and, and especially with you, with your cousin Roy Lee Welch, and then you you've got your guys standing along the wall watching. So, as a promoter and the owner of this thing, that had to bring a lot of pride because everybody's buying in, and when everybody's buying in, it's just going to be a better product, no doubt.
1: That's uh, you know, and that's what that's my feeling about it too. I was always impressed when I saw wrestlers leave the dressing room. And go watch the matches.
0: Yeah. That's yeah. a
1: great sign
0: that their heads where it <laughs> ought to be. Yeah, no but, doubt. Wow. And,
1: and the crowd's enthusiasm didn't stop there, man. I mean, Mr. Wrestling, too, and the pro stood him up again, man, time after time. And pro beat him right in the middle of the ring man. shoved something into his mask and uh, beat him right in the center of the ring. And uh, he was about – he left the ring. He was about to leave the ring. He was hotter than ever, man. The crowd was just really mad about the end of this match. And Tony Charles standing back there against the wall with the other baby faces watching the match, and he came down to ringside. <laughs> and he tried to explain to the referee, check his mask, check his mask, right? And him and the pro almost got into it. Mm. And uh, the next week, I said, I'm putting these two boys together, man. And uh, they began – and even longer string of matches than their last little feud that we they had had together. Wow. This time, they're going to get into a bigger set of them. Uh, a lot more is going to happen between those two guys. So, and then I'm in the next match. And and before I get to the next one, Dave, uh, I, I got to tell you about this. You know, I, I, ha- I have this, uh, I guess it's called a good way to put it, is a lifetime chart of my matches. Uh, a, a guy sent this to me years ago. Uh, after I quit and retired and, uh, and the, it, it has all of my matches. It has the dates, it has the cities, it has the opponents and it has the results of all of my matches. Uh, and I was looking at it just a few days be, before, uh, I did this stud cast here. Right. And, uh, you know, and it, it like I said, it had all of my matches over 4,000, 4,000
0: matches. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> Did you say 4,000?
1: Yes. Yes. I wrestled over 4,000 matches, you know, and, uh, and, uh, you know, uh, and, and the reason I'm going to bring this up is because, as I said, I I just happened to be recently looking at it and I was looking at this, this, uh, 12th card, August 12th card. And I noticed that the night before this huge event that I had wrestled for my father in Jackson, Tennessee, and I got a win over an iconic figure in the sport of wrestling. Hmm. For the second time in my life, uh, on that day, which is August the 11th, 1977, I wrestled the legendary Brute Bernard, man. Hmm. And Brute. I hadn't wrestled him in six years since 1971 when I, when I made my first trip to Australia. So, uh, you know, uh, well, I just, I just want to throw that in, you know, because – I, by looking at that thing, sometimes I see things that bring uh, back uh, thoughts, and uh, this seemed to kind of be appropriate because this night is really cranked and doing so well, man.
0: I had no idea that such records of wrestlers' careers even existed. So you, you, you're loaded with great stuff today, by the way. All right, just about every wrestling fan has heard of Brute Bernard, but tell us what happened in your match in Knoxville.
1: Well, basically, you know Don Fargo, I'm sure mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. down there where you are, you know, I'm wrestling another iconic figure the next night after brute Bernard. I'm wrestling Don Fargo, and you know, and he like brute Bernard was kind of at the end of his career and uh and now he was down to becoming Don the Fonz Fargo. I mean uh, me you know, but the, the name didn't do him any good, I mean uh you know. Uh, it was my time, and it was past Don's time, and, and I finished him off with my fuller leg lock. But on Don Fargo's behalf, uh, I had a great respect for Don Fargo and uh, and enough respect that I'm going to take him to my next territory, which I'm going to start in less than six months on this studcast. Mm. So the no DQ Southeastern Tag Championship match between the champions, Mr. Knoxville and Bob Orton Jr., who was now managed by Al Costello. And Bob Armstrong and Robert Fuller was fifth match. Uh, and it was the fifth match in a row to leave them standing on their feet in that park. You know, Al Costello stole the match because it was a no disqualification. He blatantly did the same thing as he had done the week before. Rob this time had Orton Jr. in the fuller leg lock. And he sneaked in the ring behind the referee's back and dropped his knee in Rob's face again. Got it counted out again, just the same as he had done the week before. Uh, while all that's going on, Mr. Knoxville is getting his jaw jacked by Bob Armstrong, man, with them big old right hands. And uh, so Robert and uh, Mr. Knoxville, you know, had to be carried from the ring. I mean, Bob knocked out Mr. Knoxville, and Rob got, Rob got bombed out again by Al Costello. So... Now it was time for the cage match, man. Something happened in this one, Dave, that I had never seen before in all my career. It usually took about 15 minutes or more to put up a cage, Mm -hmm. any of them, okay? And fans normally paid little to no attention to the process of watching them put up a cage, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But, boy, that wasn't the case in this cage's construction, you know? It, it, and it went up fast, faster than any cage I'd ever seen. It only took about 10 minutes to assemble it. You know. but the attention that was being, I guess, that we had put on it from the TV show, it made a star out of that cage. You know. <laughs> I mean, uh, so as they started bringing out these individual sections, which there were eight of them, and they built the, the one section on top of another.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: As they brought out the sections and added it to the cage, the fans would cheer. Wow. Each piece. Yeah. You know, so when the entire cage was finished, it seemed like everybody in that huge crowd were applauding. Man, mm. they were applauding <laughs> the, as you said, an inanimate object. They were applauding this cage. Right. I've never seen anything like that before.
0: <laughs> That's incredible. Because now you've made a star of steel, uh, a cage. So I mean. That that has to be a, that has to be a first right there. The ca- so the cage once it's once it's complete, it got a standing ovation.
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it truly really did, man. And, and you know, and it definitely said that everybody in that park was ready for the match, man. And Joe LaDuke Duke and the Stomper, they didn't let n- anybody down. I tell you, wow! It was one of the bloodiest matches I had ever seen. It was just wow, and it went for probably more than 30 minutes, which is unheard of for a cage match. They did everything that could be done to each other. And uh, they couldn't climb out of it. Uh, They couldn't get out of it. When they were thrown into it, they bounced off halfway across the ring. I mean, it just the cage was the master, man. They weren't going to do anything to it. And uh, so uh, besides being one of the bloodiest matches I'd ever seen, there was no winner to it. Uh, you know, it ended up, they were standing toe to toe, exchanging punches. One guy would hit the other one, and he would rock back, and then he would hit the other one. They, they they finally both threw a big old punch at the same time. Both of them connected, and both of them went down. Neither one of them could get to his feet. The referee counted them both out to 10, rang the bell, and ended the match. Uh, they were laid there. Uh, we had to go from the dressing room to carry them both from the cage.
0: Wow. That's incredible. I've never seen any or heard anything like that. What an ending to a cage match. So this had to be an overflowing crowd. What was it like attendance-wise?
1: Well, you know, I knew it was going to be good. You know, the crowd that night just kept coming, man. Uh, long after all the seats were full, man, they just kept coming. And there, and unlike the Coliseum where you got walls and things and there's fire marshal and a potential fire hazard, this is an outside venue. So there was no fire marshal, and there's nobody to stop the sale of tickets. And uh, eventually, before I'd say 9 o'clock, matches started at 8.30 by 9, 9.15. Fans covered all the huge grassy areas on both sides of the grandstand and up above the top of it. Uh, when you walked out to go to the ring, when I walked out to go to the ring in the fourth match, it was a sea of humanity in front of you, man, when you left the dressing room to go to the ring. Uh, <laughs> all the guys, after they worked, they came back in, and they were just, they were, God. what an amazing sight. It had never seen that many people in a setting like that built back into a mountain so as usual uh, in Chihai Park there was really no definitive count uh, simply because there's no way to judge how many thousands of people were sitting in the grass alone you
0: know? mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: and and the guess is but in the dressing room where everybody guessed you know what the hell the house was anyway and how many people were there everybody said somewhere between eight and seven and seven and eight thousand people.
0: Seven to eight thousand people at Chill Park, right? That's in, that's incredible. So this this is definitely one of the best studcasts in history. That was a lot of fun, Ron. I really appreciate all the effort you put into this one. I know that we're we're out of time today for the Learning Tree, but I also know that next week, Stud on the Studcast, we've got a very special interview coming up with the, I think only man to ever s- escape from Bob Roop's sugar hold.
1: Yeah, we do. We st- We definitely do. Dave, it's all, it's all scheduled. And, uh, that's going to be on the very next, studcast. Uh,
0: all right. I can't wait to hear about that. That's going to be a lot of fun. Okay, folks, on Facebook, to become friends with Ron on Facebook, please do not go to his Ron Fuller Welch Facebook page. It is full at this time. Go to the Ron Fuller, the Tennessee Stud, Facebook page. Simply follow him there and automatically become friends with a legend. On Twitter and Instagram, follow, it, follow him at Ron Fuller Welch. Ron will not be doing a Super Studcast in the month of August. He should be doing the next one in September of 2021. We'll tell fans the subject of that one for the September Super Studcast here on this Studcast very soon stud fans keep discovering how great the southeastern continental collectors edition five dvd pack is it is 67 matches and more than 12 hours of tremendous action hundreds of fans worldwide have purchased it it has a five-star review if you only get one set of wrestling dvds you can't go wrong with this five pack tnstud.com click on stud store and get it for only $39.99 and that includes shipping and the new original Tennessee stud mask are going fast they're exactly like the actual mask that the stud wore years ago the same cloth The same genuine leather face outline, the TS initials, and the horse's heads on each side, all hand-sewn on the mask, just as they were made for the stud. So get your piece of unique wrestling history now, wear the mask around the house, strut around on the front porch, 40 bucks. With free shipping at tnstud.com, click on Stud Store. Wrestling fans seeing you with this mask on will want one themselves. I don't know if you want to be driving a car with it, but I guess you could. Brutus is still roaring louder than ever around the world. Get Ron's highly acclaimed thriller, the novel that could really happen someday. Reviews tell the tale of what readers think. Read more than 50 of them now at Amazon.com Brutus Novel. Get the book there or get the uniquely collectible autograph copy from the stud himself at tnstud.com. Click on Stud Store, only twenty nine ninety nine. That's autographed with free shipping. Ron, the Southeastern Rewind YouTube channel is roaring like Brutus. Anything you want to add about that?
1: Well, obviously, I want to thank everybody, man, that has already subscribed and who's now enjoying these, these different TV shows that are there now. All of the other things that are there, and those that have not, uh, this is your chance to find out what my wrestling TV shows were all about back in the day when wrestling was really wrestling. So, uh, come in, you know, the next coming in the next five days alone on Southeastern Rewind is the number 17 original stud cast. Now, it's a special one, I think it was called Celebration. It has a bunch of different stars on it, they're all basically celebrating my 17th. Uh, uh, Studcast, which now is a pretty small number, Dave, compared to where we are now, you know. So three days later, uh, you know, after this one, there's going to be the very popular Tell Me More Question and Answer show from that celebration uh, on, the, on that, on that Studcast. Mm-hmm. So another uh, rerun review probably on Friday of this week from Les Thatcher and myself. This time we'll be taking a deep dive into the second USA TV show that premiered last Sunday, we break down everything in these shows to give fans a look behind the curtain into what, why, and how things were done back 33 years ago so that they can see why these TV shows basically were so popular. So don't forget that every Sunday afternoon, 3 p.m. Eastern time, a new USA TV show will premiere on Southeastern Rewinds YouTube. Next Sunday, it's going to be the third in the fantastic series of USA Championship Wrestling TV shows with Gordon Soley and myself.
0: It is awesome seeing Gordon Soley calling these matches with you. That is a lot of fun. All right, to subscribe now, go to YouTube and Southeastern Rewind. Simply subscribe, ring the bell, and they'll ring your bell whenever something new arrives on the channel. Saddle up now and ride into the future by rewinding into the past. All right, stud. so where do we go next week?
1: Well, we have a special stud cast, I think, next week. Uh, this one I thought was, I really enjoyed this one, and I think next week's may be going to be even better. In addition to looking at the third week of August of 1977's card and uh, the matches, we're going to talk about the TV. We'll talk about the results of those matches. We'll talk about the attendance. And then we're going to be joined, Dave, uh, for a very rare appearance live by someone, uh, and this gentleman's name is William Hardy. He's the guy that 40 years ago made wrestling history when he came out uh, from the crowd and, and challenged Bob Root's uh, sugar hold and became the only person to ever escape from that Olympic professional wrestler's hole. Wow. The infamous sugar hole. So don't miss this one, fans. Tell your friends and neighbors about it, Because this should be one of the best studcasts ever done. Um, I want to thank all the listeners, Dave, obviously. And our audience grows dramatically each week. And without all of you, we wouldn't be here, either Dave or I. So please take care of yourselves and others and may God bless us all.
0: God bless you too, Stud. What a great one today, Ron. I can't wait for next week. This is David Summers thanking all of you and inviting you to please join us again next week for another great Studcast right here. Thanks for joining us today for this historic Studcast. The true story continues next week. So full Nelson, your friends, and point them in our direction for another ride with the Tennessee Stud. This is David Summers saying so long from the Great Smoky Mountains.